0: Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Can you hear me? Here we go. Yeah, that picture is a little um, outdated. I still had some hair back then. Um, you see on the bottom, um, on this side here, that's Justin. He's now 28 years old, um, married to a, a wonderful young lady from Texas. They serve in our church. Uh, right next to him is Joel, uh, his younger brother, who is 24, 23. And uh, he's married with uh, a wonderful Turkish, Swiss girl who got saved in our church, and uh, she is, uh, they live in Dallas, and uh, he texted me just the other day, he says, Dad, I outran my first tornado. So I said, I'm not quite sure if I'm happy about that, but I'm glad you outran it, Uh, but they have a little granddaughter, uh, Ellie, who's eight months old, and then just above Joel is Janelle, the baby, she's 20 years old. And She's in Bible school, about to finish that uh, in a few months' time, and then next to her is Jessica, her older sister. She's the second born, and she is married with her husband in Phoenix, Arizona, and they have two of our our grandkids. Uh, Madison now is three years old, and uh, Logan is one year old, so... Yeah, I'm going to hopefully send you a new picture, so they're a little more updated, a big family gathering or something. Anyway, and of course, Sandy is on, the, on this side here. She is uh, still 28 years old, and I am still 35 years old. <clears throat> now They say when you, once you hit 40, it's like 40-something. You know, you can go to 50, 60, it's just 40-something. Uh, you just keep counting the big numbers. Anyways, it's so good to be back here. Um, At Spring of Life, it really, we consider this a home away from home. We dearly love uh, your pastors and your leadership team. Uh, Many of you, we've had meals together. We've hugged and laughed and cried and prayed together and sang together. Some of you have come over to be with us in Europe. And uh, it's just an awesome privilege and a joy to have relationship. And uh, this morning, i want to talk to you a little more about the local church and uh, how important the local church is and um, I'm, a, I'm a product, really, of the local church. Uh, I grew up in a country, Switzerland, that is not very godly. Uh, in fact, about 2%, they say, really know Christ. And of those 2%, I'm not quite sure how many are really following Christ and are running after Christ. Uh, so it's a handful. In fact, I once worked it out with the numbers a bit, and, and I, I believe that we came right down to it that you can actually fit them all into one stadium. All the Christians in Switzerland, you can put them into one big football stadium, and uh, <laughs> that's kind of a scary thought. But anyway, that's kind of the condition. We, we are considered post-Christian. post christians means we had Christianity, and now we don't need it anymore, So once you go post-Christian, that means all moral standard begins to just sink in the sand and goes away. So people really growing up and living life with no moral standard. There's no absolutes. Um, I teach people skills. I teach uh, core values and, and different Those things in the university classes, um, in campuses around Switzerland, and also in Bible schools. And what I'm trying to do with that is to bring back again the absolutes. This generation we are in right now, my kids, some of your kids in the 20s and 30s, um, have a very difficult time with absolutes because the world does not push that. The world does not really ask of that. You can be friends with this side, friends with that side, accept this lifestyle, be okay with this a bit, as long as you keep your opinion to yourself. And so everything begins to start just swimming around in this big pool that is not defined who, where, and what. And the Bible says at the end times, it'll be like the days of Noah. And the the reason why God pulled Noah and his family out is for one reason alone, because the world was getting too sinful and the world was getting too far away from God's plan and it could not come back anymore. And the only way it can come back is to go ahead and to actually destroy what was there and to save the righteousness and to go ahead and to reproduce that. I don't know if you've seen the movie Noah uh, they've taken some real liberties with that movie, of course, and gone far away from biblical standards. We began a series this Sunday that my wife uh, just taught and kicked off at home, and uh, this series is entitled Noah, because people watch the movies, so they have curious, they've got questions, so we want to give them the, the biblical point of, of, uh, of what Noah's all about. Anyway, local church. I said I grew up in Switzerland with a South African mom and a Swiss dad. Uh, back in South Africa, my grandparents had a strong mission station, very Pentecostal. Um, they worked with Smith-Bigglesworth in the early, early years, for about three years. So I grew up down there seeing miracles and signs and wonders, all these wonderful things. My grandmother raised seven people from the dead um, working under uh, Smith-Bigglesworth. Amazing <laughs> miracles. I've talked to some of those people. And so it's, it's just one of those deep, strong Pentecostal roots in my life. But then I would go back to Switzerland because my dad worked for the airlines, and so we flew back and forth, and I, I went from hot on fire to cold and nothing and back and forth and back and forth because there was no local church in Switzerland that I could be a part of and really lock into. And I want you to turn to two scriptures if you can, to two scriptures. One is in Psalm 92, verse 12 and 13. Psalm 92, verse 12 and 13, and also open your Bibles then to Matthew 16 and verse 18. That's why you have that little black rhythm uh, uh, ribbon, this little thing here. See that? You can use that to actually put it into one side and then open to the other side. So those two scriptures, Psalm 92 and Matthew 16. Psalm 92, verse 12 reads, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon, and those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And then over in Matthew 16 and verse 18, it says, And I also shall say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. The two Key truth I want you to see in that is in the first verse that we are the planting of the Lord. And then the second word uh, verse there, it says that we are, excuse me, that He builds His church. Jesus right now is in the building process of His church, and we are part of the church. If you want to be part of His building process, what He's doing, then you have to be in the church. If you are out of the church you will not be a part of the building process of the church because Jesus said, I will build my church. That's not a very deep revelation. It's just connecting the dots with these verses. So he's building something that means it's not something where he just says it will be done and it was done. It's a process. The church is a process. That's why you and I are a process. There's a plan that he has for your life and for my life. Just like your eyes and like your fingerprints. It is unique just to you. Nobody else has the calling upon your life that you have. Comes equipped with the perfect mixture of gifts and talents and all these things. It is a, a, a masterpiece of God's creation when he made you. And the Bible says he knew you. That means he knew how you should be before the foundations of the earth. So a long time back, he planned you already. You are not a mistake. Now, maybe your parents did not plan you, but he planned you. Maybe you were not welcomed in your home because you were not planned by your parents, but you were no accident. God doesn't say, oh man, uh, now okay, what should I do with this person? No, it's, it's, he, he knew exactly that's why He formed you and He made you. The Bible says you are beautifully and fearfully, wonderfully made in His image and His likeness, and you are perfect. We are not recycled. We are perfect. Amen. Aren't you glad when you look around that perfection comes in all different shapes and sizes? Some have hair, some don't. That's okay. But it's a good thing. So anyway, we are planted And we are growing and we are perfect and there's a plan for our lives. Now, the reason why we have the church is so we can be planted, so we can grow, so we can develop and go on this journey from where we need to go, from where we are to where we need to go. The only place I believe that you will fulfill your destiny is through the local church. I cannot go, because of time's sake, into too much of the theological New Testament church and all that stuff, and how it's set up. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to give you the big picture and how you fit in the whole thing. You will flourish when you are planted. Now, those of you who have a green thumb know what a green thumb is? That means you love to garden. Uh, I don't like gardens. We, we've been missionaries for many years. We've spent 12 years in, in Africa. Uh, we spent about 10 years over here being in different churches moving around. Uh, now 15 years in Switzerland. Uh, so we don't like gardens because gardens means you've got to work, you know, and uh, you've got to get out there and, and you've got to get on your knees and you've got to dig and weed out and all that stuff. So what we've decided is we'll, we'll take these silk flowers and silk pots and plants and those you never water them they're always nice you know you you can uproot them and change them again and, and it's, it's perfect and you don't like the color you just buy a new one so it's it's great for us it works wonderful your hands don't get dirty i, I don't like dirty hands my, my wife is, is amazing because she grew up with a dad who's a car mechanic, a hobby mechanic. So she would lie underneath the car with him, you know, and give him the tools and hold this and change that. And she can tell if the engine has a bit of a sound. She goes, oh, you know, this is loose or so that's loose. I haven't got a clue what's happening in that engine. When we first got married, true story, we were on our honeymoon and we had her dad's old Dodge, big you know, V eight and and so I'm I'm driving because I'm the man of course and she's sliding next to me and we and the car starts to spit and you just, you know, jump in a bit. She says, pull over, pull over. So I'm pulling over and I'm I'm sitting here. She says, Pop the hood. I pop the hood. And she goes out there and, you know, one of those old things you basically climb in the engine and you sit with your feet down. You sit on the on the edge on the what's it on the um, um on the chassis, and so she's sitting there, you know, looking inside with her feet in, you know, I'm, I'm behind the wheel, and, and all these guys are driving past like looking like, what is this guy doing, you know, his wife's in the, in the, in the engine, and she says, start the engine, I start the engine, she goes, rrr, rrr, from the inside of the engine, and um, so she says, okay, turn it off and put it back on, and I'm just obeying, you know, because I'm, I'm doing all these things from the car. and. Um, and she came back in the car, her hands are all greasy and dirty, and I said, don't touch me. You know, there's like, and it was, it was amazing. So I'm I like, I married the right woman. i tell you what, she is just amazing. So, so whenever I buy a car, I just send her, I said, honey, you know, you buy the car. She buys the houses, the cars, the, everything else. But <laughs> I didn't even know why I said that, but I was going somewhere with this example, but um, she, oh yeah, I, I don't like my, my hands being dirty with the gardening and all that, so, um, but she doesn't mind, you know, and that she's very feminine, you know, most of you know her, I've met her, and uh, so she can be a real lady and nice fingernails, but I don't like this, we have two dogs. Um, I, I don't mind dogs, but if I touch the dogs, I, I gotta go wash my hands, because that's just something with me. I've, I've got this compulsion, you know, if, if, if i 'm having coffee with you at your house, and behind you, the picture is a little bit off centered, I will not hear a word you're saying because i 've got to fix that picture before I can tune into what you say. Anybody like that in here? there's a bit of monk in all of us, I think you, you know and um, so it 's this dysfunction you know that um, it 's funny when, when I met my wife first. Um, my, my drawer with my, my, my clothes, my underwear and socks and all that, it was perfectly lined up, you know, from dark to light, from black to, to white. I mean, my shirts were all lined up. Everything was just perfect in the way it was, was done. Even my, even my T-shirts, I had this old book cover I could put in and I could fold the T-shirt around the book cover and pull the book cover out and they all stacked nicely. I mean, everyone does that, I know. It's just normal, Right. <laughs> You want to hear a secret? If if I'm gonna be in a restroom at your house and your paper goes underneath, I will change it to go on the top. It just has to be right, otherwise you you can't. So we all have our we, we all have our little crazy things and dysfunctions, maybe. And that's why I believe that God put us into a local church. So we can go from dysfunction to function. Did you get that? We all have our dysfunction. In fact, when we were born, we came also dysfunctional. Every one of us, every one of us in this room did not have the perfect childhood. Now, you may have had parents that loved you, and that's wonderful. Some of you maybe had no parents that loved you or the parents that didn't love you. It doesn't matter. None of us, even those that were raised in a wonderful home, we never, all of us didn't have the perfect childhood. There was something in there through parents, teachers, neighbors, friends, that kind of messed us up. And if you think you are perfect, get married. Because about two weeks into your marriage, you will realize there are some dysfunctional people on this earth. And, and so we're all messed up, and when you have two messed up people coming together, you really understand what it means, the friction of rubbing, you know. And, and, and that's why God puts people in our lives to change us. And that's why we have the local church where we are planted in, because there's people around us, a community of people that rub on us and begin to know us closer and begin to start seeing some things that they can help us with. And all that process, that rubbing and fellowshipping and all that, gets to the point where we have to start making changes and grow. So when you are in a local church, you learn people skills. You learn how to get along with people. You learn that when, <laughs> like they say, if, if, if the cat doesn't like the way you stroke it, turn the cat around. Uh, it's, it's just some of those things. You, you've got to learn people. How do we deal with people? How do people deal with you? And most people that don't like to learn and change about the skills of getting along with other people, you know what they do? They go ahead and say, oh, I got this hallelujah. Yes, God has just led me on to the next church. I feel led. I'm, my giftings and callings are now used somewhere else. God bless you. I love you. Pastor, you're a great teacher. You're a wonderful man, wonderful church. But I'm I, I really, I'm being led by the Lord to go to the next church. And most of the times... 80% of the time, I believe, this happens is because they do not want to change. Now, I know I'm talking about those in the second service, not, not about you. I understand that. You are all wonderful. you perfect. You're great. We learn about the discipline and commitment to be disciplined. You know what discipline means? Discipline means I've made up my mind Sunday morning I'm in church. It is not a decision I have to make on Saturday evening or on Sunday morning. Now, should I, should I not? In fact, I've had somebody came once down to the service and they said, Pastor, I'm so glad I came and heard this message this, message this morning. I, I almost didn't come. And I'm so glad I came. And I looked at them and I said, really? You still flip the quarter on a Sunday morning? You still flip the coin whether you should or should not go? Heads I go, tails I go to McDonald's. You, you, you still do that? See, we've got to we've got to be committed. We're going to say, no, no. I'm going to be in church. I'm going to be in this thing that God is building. I'm going to be a part of His plan. I'm not going to go ahead and just dive out of it, dive back in, and do all that. Stewardship and serving is something else we learn in the local church. How do, we, how do we handle responsibilities and how do we handle, you know, some of the things that we are um, working with? Forgiveness and acceptance. How many of you have learned to forgive somebody in the church? Woo, that can be a hard one. That can be a hard You know why it is hard? Because we have an expectation on Christians. And we think Christians are like Jesus. No, they're in the process to becoming like Jesus. They're probably far away from Jesus. Little babies make stinky, smelly messes. They're still cute. You clean them up, and you wrap them up again, and you cuddle them on, and you're loving them on. You don't go ahead and throw about and make a new one just because they smell. Right? The same thing is true with people. Just because somebody you know has made a stink in your life and has hurt your feelings does not mean you cut them off and walk on to the next person. You are committed. You are in the same family. You are in the same church. That's a great opportunity to walk in love. In fact, I dare you to do this. You go ahead and you pray this prayer and you say, Father, help me to walk in love. <laughs> you pray that prayer. You know what's going to happen. God is going to send the most ugliest, oh, prickliest, stickiest person into your life to give you all the opportunities to practice to walk in love. <laughs> so when you pray that prayer, I promise you right now, it's going to happen. You, you're going to, yo, know, you'll have all the guys, all the people on, on the road. They they will cut you off, and and you just. Yeah, you know, don't return the signs and the wonders that they give you. We also learn to pray and do worship. We also learn how to get close to God and how to just reaffirm Him that He's number one in our lives. We learn about giving and receiving. We learn about studying and maturing. These are all these different things that a local church provides. It's all these ingredients it takes to go from the beginning point to the end point. And in between these two points, what really makes this message, excuse me, what really makes this journey strong and solid is the relationships in between. What the local church provides is relationships. Relationship, first of all, with a leadership team and a pastor and, and, and that represents you before heaven and heaven before you. That is, a, that is a amazing, like the cross. That's this vertical relationship. That's the first one that you begin to encounter. The second one is the horizontal. That's how you have the cross. And the horizontal relationship is how you learn to get along with other people. And when you can go through that and you can allow that to begin to work in you and to begin to change your heart and begin to renew your mind, you will come to the place where you will belong to a family. You will be engrafted into a family because a local church is a spiritual family. It has brothers and sisters. It has a father figure. It has a mother figure. It has nephews and nieces. It has all these different aspects of a family. It's a spiritual family. That's why it's so important that we can become a a vital member of the body, of the church body. If if you look at your body, and your body has, you know, fingers and toes and limbs and all that, and and if you would take one of those parts away and remove it from the body, you would be hindered. You will be hurting. You may look different. You, You will not feel comfortable, and you could not function at the right place at the right time. You may have to learn some things different. Maybe how to tie your shoes, you know, with with one hand. Or maybe how to brush your, 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 your hair and, you know, comb your hair with the other arm. I mean, there's different things. You've seen some of these people come back from the war missing a limb. They have to rehabilitate themselves. How do they function with their body with something missing? Well, the church is very similar The more the people are active and members and committed in a local church, the healthier that body is and the more that body can function. If you do not participate, if you're more a spectator than a participator, what happens is you have one part of the body that is limp. That means you can do all the things with your hands except that one arm. It doesn't function. It's not working. So when you are trying to, to pick something up, when you are trying to move something, you, it's more in the way that it's actually helping you. Can you see that? But if it's healthy and it's active and working, it can get some things done and the body becomes very active and very, um, very progressive. If a family... If a person doesn't have a family, we call them an orphan, right? If a Christian is not a part of a local church, that Christian has an orphan heart. He becomes or she becomes an orphan in the body of Christ at large. Now, what do you do with orphans? Orphans have to be supported. Orphans are not usually strong, healthy members, That's why we support orphanages, because there's no family to take care of them. So you have to help them. There's more uh, intensive labor, more intensive support, and all these things. There's more dysfunction. There's more counseling. There's more hurt. There's more unforgiveness. All these different things are happening. Why? Because they are orphans. They're not part of a family. And the moment you get them into a family, their habits change and their life changes. We have in Moldova, a transition house we fight human trafficking and uh, which is the biggest criminality the criminal act in Europe since 2008. It's a multi-billion dollar operation. It's different networks of mafia and underground that are coming together and they traffic these kids around. That's just a horrible, horrible thing. So we have this transition home and we have mostly orphans in there. Now orphans are two kinds of orphans. Some because they have no parents and some because they have parents but the parents rejected them. And so either one of them have an orphan heart. We have Christians today. Some have no spiritual parents. They're not a part of a local church. And some maybe have been kicked out or hurt by a church family, and now they're orphaned. And it's important to get them back in the church. But in this transition house, we have these girls that are used to having a food hall the size of this auditorium. And rows and rows of tables where they have their their meals. But in the transition home, you have a table of eight or a table of 12, and it's a smaller way of having family. You can also have rooms of fours rather than rooms the size of this hall where you have 200 girls or boys in a room. You see that? You learn to share. You learn different aspects from the orphan heart to becoming more of a family-oriented person. Kids that are raised in orphanage think different, behave different, live different, expectations are different, their distrust and mistrust is different, they carry their hurts different, and there's not really a place of healing and restoration because they're always on the defense. They're always guarding themselves. They don't trust people. Christians without a local church are very similar. They're orphan heart, they don't trust people, they are not integrated, they are distant. They, 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 they move away, they don't like to embrace, they don't want to be a part of it. Anything that is normal and healthy is strange to them, and they move away from that. That's why it's important to have the local church. So when you are committed, you're a contributor, not a consumer. That means you are active, you're not passive in that. All right. Let me give you four reasons that will help you to commit to a local church. First of all, it's a biblical reason. There's a biblical reason, number one. And that's a great scripture in Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. It says, Christ loved the church and he gave his life for it. Jesus gave his life for the church for what the church represents, for what the church does, for the purpose of the church, for those who are in the church. He gave His life. That means He is all out committed until death. He, he went all the way. There was nothing more He can give to show His commitment than His life. So the biblical reason of a church, is that means if we want to mirror that, we want to say, okay, here's my reason. I'm One of my reasons why i am in the church is because I love being committed to what Christ does. And I'm committed not just to what He does in my personal life. I'm committed to what He does in the corporate life, in the whole church. So I'm not in it just here at the church so I can go ahead and go to the picnics and go to the special events and go to the concerts and whatever else. I am in this For that, for my fellow brothers and sisters, other families in need, the vision of the whole church, the missions, outreaches, all these different things, the leadership and their life, I am committed. That means I am in. You can count on me. I stand up when the pre-roll comes. I am the one. You can put my name down. I will be there. I will put my sleeves back, and I'm working. I'm active. I'm in. If you have a sibling in a family that is not committed to the family, what happens? On family events, on excursions, on coming together, on talking to parents, it's always like this one sibling that doesn't fit. Now, I hope you cannot relate to this. I hope this is not in your family. But in most families, that's that special one person. Let's call him the uncle. All right? That this one uncle, this one auntie, that's like okay, yeah, ah, yeah, we, we, yeah, we know about her. Mm-mm. We just got to tolerate her, you know. What, does not fit in, not the same DNA, is not committed. So commitment is huge when it comes to local church. And that's why Jesus asks of a commitment of us because not because He wants to be the taskmaster. Because the commitment is what changes us, what makes us better persons, what helps us to grow and helps us to develop. Without commitment, there's no change. Without commitment, there's no growth. My wife and I, when we don't have a disagreement... When when we just get along well and all that, we we have complete agreement. It's it's, it's wonderful. Everything is, is smooth. The moment we have trouble in the house, that's when the agreement has to go to commitment. You see that? Commitment is only really asked for when things don't go smooth. Commitment is what you exercise when you don't get your way. Commitment is what kicks in when you say, you know what, this is not the way I like it. This is not the way I expected it. I don't completely agree with all of this, but you know what, I'm committed. (coughs) Just because my kids growing up didn't agree with some of my decisions did not cause them to leave the family and to disassociate themselves from the family and cut themselves off. They are still committed because they're family. You see that? And we've got to be careful as Christians that we don't shortchange ourselves and stop the plan of God when we show no commitment and we pull out of what God wants to do. Because some of you know, if you go through the storm, it's better on the other side. Of all the different marriages that I counseled, my wife and I counseled, that have had trouble in their home and maybe even a, 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 an affair or, or something or, or something horrible happened that really shook that relationship and that marriage to the core. If, if they will work through that, their marriage will be stronger on the other side than it was before. Stronger on the other side. Because there's more transparency, there's more commitment. That means I'm in it. I'm not just in it for the convenience. I'm in it because I'm in it. That's a big, big difference. All right, number two, not just a biblical reason. There's a cultural reason, and the cultural reason is also very important. And this is where it comes in. That that when we're living in a day of age, in a in a in an age right now, uh, where very few people enjoy commitment or embrace commitment. On the job, we don't show much commitment. They say about 82 to 85% of employees right now across the board in America would take a new job like this, if it's better. No commitment. They would, they would jump ship and go somewhere else, regardless of their friends, regardless of whether they they would jump ship and go somewhere else just to get a little more money. No commitment. Marriages, even countries, even neighborhoods. I don't know how many people that I've prayed that have come to me and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I, I want a promotion. And I pray for the promotion. They get the promotion. And the first thing that happens, they have to either leave town, they're away on Sundays, they make more money, but less family time, and give it about four to six months, and the whole thing falls flat. And they leave the church. I've, I've stopped doing that. I, I said, you know what, I'm not going to pray for promotion for you. I'm going to pray that God's will will be done, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you will have the right priorities in your life, that you will seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, and then all these things will be added to your life. We have a couple in our church, Kurt and Maria. Love them so much. Maria is a little feisty Italian and uh, just an outspoken, strong leader, strong woman. And Kurt is a very compassionate um, Swiss man that uh, very diplomatic, very slow to make a decision, so they're really opposites. And when they first came to the church about maybe almost three years ago, they sat opposite me at my desk, and they said, you know what? We want to come to church, but we are afraid to. I said, why are you afraid? Well, because our marriage is such a mess, we don't want to bring a mess to your church. I said, you know what? <laughs> you will not mess things up. There's you'll, you'll fit right in with the other messes around this church. And I said, in fact, I believe this is the best place you can be at if you, if you have a mess. And um, so, you know, she was like, mom, you know, and she was just going on about this, you know, marriage and this husband of hers. and you know, So, you know, and he was like, oh, honey, you know, and I was, I don't know if I should kiss her and slap him or, you know, what I should do. It's just, anyway, I said, you both need help. And so what happened is I said, listen, my goal in helping your marriage is not to make you happy. My goal is not to coach your marriage so you can have a smile on your face and hold your hands. My goal in working with you in your marriage is so your marriage will become so good it'll impact other marriages and minister life to them. That's the goal. So, (laughs) they both laughed. They said, yeah. (laughs) They kind of laughed like Sarah laughed when God says, I'm going to give you a, you a, a child. Anyway, so... Just about four months ago, what happened is, um, the Lord spoke to my, my heart before the service, and He said, "I want you, after the service, to have Kurt and Maria go to the front of the church and pray for all the marriages." So I called him in the office, and Maria comes in and says, "Is something wrong that I, you know, I, I misbehave?" Is it? I said, "No, everything's all right, everything's all right." I said, just, just, you, "I want you to pray for the marriages after the service." And she laughed again. She goes, are you serious? She goes, I can't do that. I said, don't argue with me. Argue with God because that's, you know, I'm just telling you what he said. Um, Long story short, I'm watching over on the side after the service. They are in tears. All the couples are in tears. The anointing is just so strong on them ministering. And they had a line of married couples. And then at the end, they must have done a good half hour, 40 minutes. At the end, they come into my office. She couldn't even talk. Her, her, I, I, she was crying like a baby. And I know exactly what she was trying to say. She says, I could have never believed that this was ever possible. Now, I know her praying with her husband for other couples. I know the couples were blessed. But the biggest miracle is what happened in their lives at that moment. Because it turned everything around. And now they have a desire next semester to actually have a small group for couples. Isn't it amazing? But you know what? There was a time they wanted to leave the church. They didn't have a, 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 a desire for commitment. They didn't even know how commitment works. They still fought. They still had times when they called me, you know, at... at, at 10 at night and saying, I'm going to kill this guy and, you know, what should I do with this fiery furnace? You know, and all these different comments came. I said, stay in it. Commitment. Stay with it. Cultural reasons. It will change your life. You will start seeing values the way God values things. When your values and his values don't line up, That's because we are seeing it in our own desire, our own needs, what we feel we need, and not the way God sees it. That's why he says, open your eyes. I want you to see something that is life-giving. Number three, it's a practical reason. What does it mean to have a a practical reason? It it defines in the church who can be counted on, who is on the team. Each one of us has different giftings and callings. I learned this over just this this last conference I was at. They said that 87% of churches in America do not help people discover their spiritual giftings and callings. That means they never begin to function in what they are called to do. And the church should be a place where you can develop your gifts, where you can develop your callings and your personality and all these things that help you become who you are and fulfill the journey that God has sent you on. And you don't serve in that capacity. People don't 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 live in that place. They don't even know who they are and what they do and what they call to do. So these practical reasons—it's almost like in a company. You know, I'm I'm good at doing maybe accounting, or I'm good at maybe being at the warehouse. So I'm good at whatever you're good at in the church is the perfect platform to exercise that. It's not out there the corporate world that needs to train you in how to live life. It's the local church that needs to develop your giftings and callings and talents and personality profiles so you can understand, who am I? How did God make me? And that's the way you're going to go forward and function the most healthy. Number four, a personal reason. It's a personal reason. It produces spiritual growth. It helps you to grow from the inside to the outside. Some of you came from a a, a very religious background. Most religious institutions want to change you from the outside to the inside. You're going to change the way you dress, you're going to change the way you, all these things on the outside. You know what? It doesn't really matter what's much on the outside if the inside isn't changed. The outside, it's almost like baptism. Baptism is an outward action of an inward revelation. The same thing when it comes to your Christian conduct. You will conduct yourself based upon the revelation you have of who you are in Christ on the inside and the work that Christ has done on you on the inside. We had missionaries back in the 80s in Africa from a certain denomination, which was an American-based missions organization. And we looked at those people that were working in the church, and uh, they were local people, African people, but they had their loafers on, their khakis on, their polo shirts on. They would dress just like Americans. Baseball caps, the whole works. And then when they go home, they would change and they would dress the way they dress in their family and African outfit. It was so important for the pictures, the magazines, the newsletters to go ahead and to dress like the culture of the mission station. But outside, they were different. So you have people in the churches sometimes. They will act churchy and they will act Christianese on the inside of the church, but outside they don't. That's a church that lays emphasis more on the outward than the inward. But if the inward changes, you will carry that outside. And you will conduct yourself the same whether you are behind the pulpit, in front of the pulpit, in the pew, or in the restaurant. You will be the same because of the spiritual maturity in your life. And that's the personal reason that is involved with that now in closing there's a there's a, a, a need, there's, a, there's a, an opportunity, I can say, that we as Christians, you as Christians, those of you that maybe have come more recently to a church, or maybe you have uh, in a process right now of looking for a new church, and you feel this is a place where you want to commit to, this is an excellent place to commit to. I know these pastors. I know these people. I have watched them, and uh, I love their, their, their heart and dedication for the ministry, their love for you and people. Um, it's, it's exemplary. For some of you, it may be time this morning to say, you know what? I am going all in. I'm not going to sit on the fence. I'm not going to flip the coin on a Sunday morning. I'm going to show some commitment. I'm going to come and say, you know what, Pastor? I'm in. I want you to count on me. I want you to speak into my life. I want to be a part of this. I want to be planted at spring of life. I want to be planted in a church where I can flourish in the courts of God, where I can begin to start bearing fruit and carrying fruit so people around me can be blessed. The fruit on the tree is not for the tree. Did you get that? The fruit on the tree is not for the tree. The fruit in the tree is for those that come to the tree and get nourishment and can take from that. And the tree does not complain. The tree does not pull the branch back. and say, ah no don't eat that Ah, no. no the tree will offer it freely your life when you are planted and you are flourishing will offer your life and the fruits of heaven that you bring forth in his season at his time to all people and your life will be a joy and a delight to others and it all begins being planted in the local church let's pray father we thank you so much for your word, we thank you, Father, for the insight. We thank you for clarity and understanding, and just your love that coaches us and, and ushers us towards being part of your church, being planted, being engrafted. And Father, I pray for all those here this morning that, that want to make that step and say, You know what, I need to, I need to be committed. I don't want to just be a a church hopper and shopper and go around wherever something is happening and, and follow the actions and follow the events. I want to be part of the process. I want to put some roots down. I want to join a family. I want to become clear and clean and whole and well. So thank you, Father, for those right now that you are drawing in, that you are ushering in. You're saying, come on in, have rest. Put some roots down. Begin to grow and develop. And Father, maybe there's those here this morning that don't even know you yet. They've come in here with some friends. They've come in here with somebody else. Maybe they've just come here because they saw something on the internet, the website, or they just have a desire and a longing for you to make things right. And some of you this morning, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what? It's time to make peace with God again. It's time to come back to Him. Maybe you knew Him as a young child or you knew Him years ago, but you're not really committed. You're not really followed with Him and has taken you off the right path. And this morning, it's time to come back. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, just so I can pray for you. Just put your hand up and down so I can see you. If you're saying, that's me. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you so much. I want to come back. I want to make peace with God. I want to be committed. I want to be a part of this thing. Yes, thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all over, all over. Thank you so much. Yes, yes, yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you so much for all those that have raised their hand and saying, I want to be committed. I want to make peace with God. I want to come back to God. I want to be a part of a growing, flourishing church. Father, I pray for your anointing to be upon them. Holy Spirit, that you would draw them into the next step, that they will go and, and initiate, their, that they will make the first step towards it, that they will enroll in a class, that they will contact a pastoral member and saying, Amen, I want to be part of this. Help me to the next level. Thank you, Father, for families and marriages to being affected because they're growing closer to you and they're making a commitment. Thank you so much, Father, for all these. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen, amen.